Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. Okay, so I usually try to do a little personal note at the beginning of these episodes just to sort of, you know, let you in on my life, connect with you, share with you a bit about what's going on with my world. So I've just stepped away from a firecracker department core team session with our social justice department led by Farah Marani and Sedna Fiati. And we're going to be doing a very special series of podcasts sort of a roundtable discussion led by Farah and Sedna, and I'm really jazzed to share that with you. So I'm processing a lot about what was discussed at our session, and there'll be more on that in these upcoming special podcasts. I will say one of the things I loved was at the top of this workshop, Sedna said, describe how you're doing in relation to the weather. So some folks were like, oh, you know, I'm feeling kind of stormy or I'm feeling like the sun is shining. And my take is that I'm feeling very spring. I'm feeling hopeful. I'm feeling rejuvenated. I feel like every time like I pull back some old leaves, there's some new flowers growing, so that's exciting. I'm not gonna lie, sometimes you pull back the leaves and there's some dog poop. And that's kind of life, you sort of mix that into the soil and hopefully it makes the soil a little bit better but uh, sometimes you pull back the leaves and you get crocuses other times you get dog poop that's kind of life it was such a fun way to start that workshop and I'm so gosh eternally proud of the core firecracker team and so honored that Sedna and Farah spent the energy and time they did uh, bringing this workshop to us. It's uh, it's incredible. I'm lost. I'm lost for words. So I will tell you that much and I will say stay tuned for some really exciting podcasts coming up where we talk as a roundtable with the Social Justice Department. And here we go with a firecracker shout out. I sure love these. And if you do too, let us know. Give us a shout out. All you have to do is send a voice memo to firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com. Include who you are. Include who you're shouting out couple of handles, boom, you got a firecracker shout out. And here's one coming at you now. Hi, my name is Fran and I'm part of the writing department team. Today, I'll be shouting out Onyeka. Onyeka is an amazing artist, filmmaker, and writer based right in Toronto. You can check them out on Twitter. Their handle is at littlebigdweeb. You can also check out their website. Their website is summeroflovclub.com. Once again, that was summeroflovclub.com. On their website, you can find original art prints. You can find stickers. They have gift cards as well. So please make sure to check that out. That was my firecracker shout out. Thank you. Oh, goodness. Whatever firecracker angel has sent Fran Caviello to us, thank you. Because, boy... I love her so much and uh, started as our intern and now is an integral, integral core member. So could not, could not imagine this journey without her. Thanks for the shout out, Fran. Just a mini shout out. We had our Firecracker script department reading this past Sunday. If you were able to go, congratulations, because you had a real, real treat having these two scripts read. And for those of you who didn't get to go, 
Don't miss out next time. It's fantastic. Big, big, big shout outs to the script department team that's led by Farah Marani with Tanu Ravi, Lauren Shell, Liesl Lafferty and Rebecca Marquardt. Boy, those folks pulled together an amazing event and uh, it was extraordinary, extraordinary. We had some great discussions about scripts. The actors were incredible and you're not gonna wanna miss the next one, which is in July. So subscribe to our newsletter to keep in touch, firecrackerdepartment.com. Okay, on to the show. Here we go. Our guest, oh, I loved talking to this guest so much. Our guest is multi-award winning disabled writer, performer, and producer, sketch artist, funny person, Ophira Kaloff. Ophira's work weaves together, oh my gosh, music, comedy, storytelling. She centers around disability and chronic illness and her experiences around that. And so fun. They are just a ball of funsville. Okay, you can quote me on that. They co-created the Canadian Comedy Award-nominated sketch comedy review, Generally Hospital, super funny title already, and her solo show, Literally Titanium, was developed through the Buddies and Bad Times Emerging Creators Unit before premiering at the 2020 Next Stage Theatre Festival. Come on! Ophira's journey is so unique, and they are whip-smart as well as hilarious. Uh, also a fellow Second Cityer, Ophira graduated from Second City's Writing and Sketch Conservatory program and was featured in Second City 2018 Toronto Diversity Fellowship Showcase. And also, if that's not enough, oh, you want more? I'll give you more. Ophira is the 2018 recipient of the Tim Sims Encouragement Award, which is an amazing award. And Tim Sims, for those of you who don't know, was an amazing Second City person. And there used to be a Tim Sims Playhouse over next to Second City that housed so much funny new content. And he just was a legend. Uh, whenever I was at Second City, there was so much uh, material created by Tim Sims and his fellowship carried on his encouragement. Ophira also has an extensive background as a vocalist, training through the University of British Columbia's Opera Performance Program, yes, Opera, and completing Berkeley Music Online's Songwriting Specialist Certificate, and their single, Still Standing, is available online, including on Apple Music and Spotify. So come on now, there are so many opportunities for you to dive into some beautiful Ophira comedy, music, art content. And I have to say, it is a beautiful song. Even just talking about it right now gives me goosebumps. You have to go and listen to it. Ophir's appeared on TV in Tall Boys on CBC, in Slumber Party on Bad Dog Comedy TV, in so many sketches and groups, including We're Not Waiting, the Miles Nadal JCC exhibit, and Group Message for the Toronto Sketch Film Fest. Ophir is also working as a curator, workshop facilitator, consultant, keynote speaker with projects including COVID-19 through a disability lens, storytelling and filmmaking project. Oh my gosh, she has so much going on. It's incredible. We talk about all of it and so, so much more. I mean, honestly, I, I say this every time and I, I mean it because these guests are so exciting, but we could have spoken for hours and I could also talk for hours about Ophira and her story and this intro could just be the rest of the episode and that wouldn't really be much fun for anyone, would it? No, no, it really wouldn't. I'm gonna answer for you. Okay, and also who's kidding who? It wouldn't make much sense. Just an intro and then the closing music, it just, you'd be like, what? Come on. So, okay, let's hear it straight from the writer, performer, producer themselves, Ophira Kalos. Here we go. I was gonna be called Ophira. 
Actually? Yeah. Yeah. So I found a list of the names that were my parents were thinking of. And one of them was um, Odette, Ophira, uh, um, Tia, and then Naomi. They went with Naomi. I mean, you have, well, no, I, I suppose not. You, you still get the mispronunciation. Um, I was going to yes. say you've avoided a lifetime of Ophira and panic Ophelia. That comes up a lot. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, there's an O, there's an O. <laughs> well, and here's the other thing is that, so my husband's um, family, my husband's brother's family is in Gadara in Israel. And so their kids are Noam, Matan, and Ophira. Come on now. I mean, I, so I went to Israel when I was younger and met so many Ophiras and yeah. Ophiras. <laughs> yeah. it's, like, like, it's like Christine or Susan. Where am I? <laughs> yeah, right. I have to say, I, I want some maybe of your direction because I was researching all about you and there's these, I don't even know how to say it, but there's these two parts of your world, right? There's the Ophira that's like a disabled um, advocate. And then there's Ophira, the opera singer, comedy, sketch writer. And I don't think they're detached, but I, I, I don't know how to advance because I want to, I have so many um, questions about you creatively. And then I also have questions about your disabledness. How do you want, how do you want to go forward? This is a great question. Anytime someone asks me what I do, I'm always like, yeah. <laughs> because those two parts of the world do, um, to me, they're connected, but I know that they, they kind of have different titles, um, a little bit, slightly different categories. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of look at it as I'm to me, accessibility and disability yeah. is inherently artistic. Um, the way that I think about accessibility is through like a little bit of an improviser's brain, a little bit of an artistic um, mindset. And so my art, and then that flows through my art as well. So to me, I am like a disability arts practitioner. And then that comes into play through like teaching, consulting, performing, writing, but it's, it's all the same kind of core. I know you started out as an opera singer. Yes. And was that always your goal? Like growing up in your, in your household, you're like opera singer, laser beam. I mean, I had a laser beam from when I was three years old. Uh, I saw Beauty and the Beast and was just like that. I just, yeah. I just, I just want to do that. Yellow dress. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Interestingly, I actually, I wanted to be like the dancing plates in the wardrobe. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I more fun. Yeah. It just seems yeah. so magical, you yeah. know, and not necessarily... Uh, yeah, I don't even remember the leads in it, but I distinctly remember the like beautiful wardrobe. Yeah. Um, and then I begged my parents for voice lessons for every birthday, every Hanukkah, like every opportunity. Um, and finally, when I was nine, I was singing in a choir. Someone heard me. They like said, mm, I think. I, I think this one is, uh, <laughs> you know, have should maybe talent. have voice yes. lessons. Oh, um, and I just clearly loved it so much. But at the time I was nine years old. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, if that's like the Olympics of singing, like that's what yeah. I want to do. <laughs> like, of course. Um, so I basically decided when I was nine that opera was the thing um, and like pursued it yeah. super single-mindedly uh, for about a decade, which nice. is quite wild to think so about. all your projects all your school projects are all about opera your your speeches your collages all opera opera <laughs> opera is it like that 
my aesthetic was like black and white with a single red rose. Okay. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. I, when I was young, cause I, I was a dancer as a kid and I loved like that whole Capizio, like the clown thing. And I was desperately trying to convince my mom to let me do my bedroom black. Same. <laughs> did you, did you get to paint it black? I got to paint one wall black. Okay. I got, I got one. <laughs> My mom somehow tilted it and said, how about baby blue? <laughs> so somehow, but I, I, I mean, I'm kind of glad because if I'd had a black room, I would have been like, you know, listening to the Smiths and depressed for years, I'm sure. So, um, so I would imagine. <laughs> okay. So you're pursuing opera. You never strayed from it because you went to school in BC for it. You never, yeah. and your folks are like, absolutely. That's your, we're behind you. I mean, it's so funny because I, a lot of my peers in opera, like their parents were very much like pushing, like kind of driving the train. Whereas mm-hmm. for me, my parents like kept on being like, are you sure? Like, do you want to do this? Like you can, like, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, we'll support you. But like, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why? What, what was the challenge for them around that? I think part of it, I was a very intense kid. Um, <laughs> so. You don't say, I mean, there's not a lot of timidness in the research that I've done about you, Fira. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mean, posing on her hands. <laughs> I was I was fairly shy, uh, which is funny thinking about it. Uh, I wouldn't really speak much in front of people, but I I completely I was like auditioning for every show, did mm. every competition, did like Royal Conservatory of Music exams and did music theory and piano and voice and, you know, had to take some dance classes because, you know, you have to do that if you're going to perform on stage. Like I it was just so much. Yeah. Um, and so I think my parents had those moments of thinking like this is this is a lot. Um, You're a child. Um, Like we're not forcing you to do this. You know, you really, you have, you have a choice. Um, but I, like, I was completely committed and they didn't like doubt, doubt it strongly. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was definitely, definitely me writing the show there. And where do you think that came from? Like, I, it does sound like you were at like opera boot camp that you've put yourself in. And I'm sure people were like, boy, her parents are really pushy. And they're like, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. <laughs> yes. But where do you think that came from, Ophira? It's a good question. Um, I think so for a certain element, like the opera world, as with so many performing arts worlds, um, really drives that idea of like pushing you know, being the mm. most committed, the most dedicated. Um, and so that was definitely an idea that I very much internalized of like, in order to be the best, I have to like take the most classes and learn the most content and set myself yeah. up for success in that way. Um, so that was definitely a part of it. Um but I also, I mean, I have a little bit of a, I'm, I'm the kind of person that like, once I start reading a book, I can't go to sleep until I finish it. Okay. Like I, you were just, just single minded. I can be, yeah. which I'm working on. I yeah, swear. I mean, lifetime. I mean, we're all working on something. <laughs> what, what, what kind of work did your parents do? Were they in the arts? Uh, so my dad worked for the government um, and my mom floated around in different places. Um, she had some 
of her own experiences with illness. But when she worked, she did like teaching and uh, some things more in the, in the therapy mm-hmm. realm as well. It's interesting so, though, right? A little bit more liberal okay. artsy, I guess. Okay. And, and was music <laughs> in your household? Yes. Yeah. I would say that uh, no, not in any sort of um, professional capacity. Like my yeah. parents didn't really play instruments, but we listened to, we had like dance parties yes. all the time growing up and like it was, there was a lot of music around. Amazing. And so, and so you're pursuing this dream decades, a decade later, you're, you're in school. And now when did your, when did the illness and the physical challenges show up? So it's, it's very tricky because in hindsight, I had things my whole life. And I think that that was also a driving force for me of like, I was like, I just got to keep going. I just got to keep going. Oh, that's Um, interesting. Because like, anytime, like gave you a focus that wasn't like an ache. You can just yes. focus on the opera. That's really interesting. Because I had, I had just like a lot of, and when I was a kid, they put it down to different things. They said, oh, you're stressed. So you're having like tension headaches or, oh, these are growing pains, right. sort of my aches and pains or just like, oh, you're very clumsy, which is why I injured myself a lot. Things like that. Right. Um And so, yeah, whenever I stopped, it was a joke in, in my house that I was either like, full force like at school or rehearsal or something or I was like fast asleep on the floor of the house um and it was when I was in my first year of university that all of those things kind of combined is very I mean I like to do things dramatically so I associate it with New Year's Eve uh 2000 and like heading into 2012 um And I basically had what I thought was just a really bad migraine um, and it didn't go away. Mm. And so I had been at home over the the winter break visiting my parents. And then I went back to school in Vancouver and I couldn't like lift my hands to wash my hair. I couldn't uh, do my own laundry. And I was at school on a full scholarship and all of a sudden I could barely make it to my classes. Never mind. Like I, all of the, all of the words were very blurry mm-hmm. on the page. Um, and so at that point it was kind of the idea of this is this big emergency thing that happens. I went through all of those first tests, like going into the ER and, you know, thinking, uh, thinking that it's something with my brain and I had all the scans. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, it was definitely quite a lot. Then I had all those scans and they didn't show anything. And so I was kind of then left, the symptoms didn't go away. Um, but I didn't have any answers and was just kind of there um and that really started a about four and a half year process of seeing different doctors and getting different tests and trying different medications and not really having any name for what was happening to me and not having any and still just trying to make it through school I kept uh, I was like okay what if I take a some fewer courses, maybe I can not manage. I'm like, okay, I have to take one semester off, but I'll make it up in summer and get right. back into it. And okay, so I guess I'll graduate a year later than everyone else, but that's okay. Like, that's fine. People do that. Um, and I pushed myself because I didn't have any um, understanding of what was happening. Right. I ended up injuring myself further because right. I had a couple of really bad falls 
Um, and then that kind of, I mean, people talk about rock bottom. I'm like, yeah, no, I had to like literally fall on stage, uh, hit my head and get to the point that I like couldn't sit up independently before I was like, all right, There's I guess. Really wrong. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, I guess I have to actually leave school. You know, I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't look after myself. Oh my God. Um, and at that point I moved back home, uh, back in with my parents for a little bit and figure out what was happening. I mean, God, it's, it, this is when you're 19. Yeah. yeah. It's enough just being 19. <laughs> Let alone. One would think. Right. <laughs> oh my God. And I, I completely understand that. Like anytime I've had like, like I had uh, skin cancer 10 years ago and I had the same mentality of like, we were in the middle of second city rehearsals and I had to go and have the operation. And I was like, I'm not even going to tell anybody. I'm going to just go do the operation. I'll be back on Monday. I'm going to take a day off, you folks. And then I woke up in a cast. I went, oh, no, things are very different. I think there's also um, this element. First of all, like, I've really been unraveling sort of the ideas of ableism and just how much I carried with me. Like, I didn't want to be seen as weak or less than. Um, I didn't want to be seen in any kind of different light at all. Um, and so part of it was just me. And then there's also, there's such a strong overcoming narrative as well. Of course, um, it is. look at you. You're like, a, <laughs> like, there's nothing in your past narrative that tells you that you're, um, a rollover and accept defeat. You're a fighter. You're a hoper. And of course you do. You want to look after yourself. It's the normal. It's true. And I think there's also like in the arts, especially there's so many stories and then just in the world of these, like kind of inspirational stories a little bit of people who are like yeah like this really difficult thing happened but they just kept pushing and look at them now um and I think I had it in my head I was like well if I just keep pushing uh then then it'll be fine and this will Mm -hmm. just be like a story of oh remember that time for a couple of months that things were really hard I completely Um, relate to this yeah yeah and then I finally hit the moment of being like wait a minute it's been more than a couple of months it's been several years and things are only getting worse maybe I maybe something has to change I mean I like to say whenever I see that people have like changed their lives of their own volition I'm like oh I'm so impressed with them because I did it kicking and screaming like I I love where I've ended up now I'm really proud of of that shift and where it's led me but oh I did not want to do it (laughs) I mean I don't I don't know how many people really embrace change though. Like that's an, uh, uh, even if it's like people that are in a, in a challenging situation, you get used to it and it's, you know, the devil, you know, right. It's true. Um, but this, so I, you don't have to tell me how old you are, but this is like five years ago. This is closer. So I am, I'm 27 now. Okay. Uh, so this was, I guess we're talking in between the years of like 2012 and 2014-ish. Okay. So there was like a shift of your um, your arts journey as well. So you were going, because like has, did this, because um, the diagnosis didn't come through, tell me if I'm wrong, until like 2015. So you were sort of figuring yes. things out until then, which must have been really hard to just be like, I don't know. Like, it's almost like being lost in the forest and be like, well, let's try this way. And then you go that way for 10 yards and be like, nope, let's try that way. <laughs> I mean, very much that. Um, Also, there's the whole added stigma, right? Um, Both internal and external Mm -hmm. um, of me having to tell people like, 
I can't do things and I don't know why. Like, I don't have a reason why nobody's validated that for me. Um, I can't explain it. All I can say is that I'm slurring my words right now and that's that's what's happening. Um, And so there was also a lot of doubts, especially because within the medical system, when they couldn't find anything on tests, there was a lot of like, "Mm, you know, maybe maybe this isn't really a thing. Like maybe it's more coming from you. Maybe you're looking for attention. Like that was brought up a lot. Um, And those ideas also would be around some of my peers um, just because we don't have lots of stories out there, like much many touch points of people who like, we have a lot of stories about someone who like gets super sick, gets a diagnosis really fast. And then they have this arc of a story of either they're cured or, or they die at the end, Mm -hmm. but some sort of resolution. We don't really have that many stories out there of someone who just all of a sudden their body is different. So you, so, and also giving up, like, did you realize that you couldn't pursue opera because it, oh man, that must've been heartbreaking. That's the thing that took me so long. Um, and really I kept trying to hold on to my voice lessons and again, to, to really dangerous points. Like I, every time I hit a high note, I would black out. I like fell over in practice rooms. Like it was really bad. Um, but again, I had such a strong idea that I was like, if I just keep pushing, like, Mm -hmm. and that was being reinforced around me quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I, I did keep trying and then I think it was gradual when I realized of realizing that opera specifically wasn't at least in the way I was doing it at that time, that it it wasn't a possibility, but yeah, definitely a stretched out difficult process. So, so then the tilt towards comedy, was that a natural thing anyway, because you've got such a sense of humor innately? (laughs) I'd like to think so. Um, you know, I always, cause I did musical theater a little bit growing up too. And I always gravitated towards yeah. the comedy songs and the place, the spoon. Yeah. yeah, I get it. I get it. Exactly. Right. Um, but I always felt like, and this is such a thing with the arts, right? Like opera was serious, uh, which is not necessarily, but in my brain, opera was serious. Um, and comedy was not serious. Mm. And I was serious. I was mm. a serious professional. Um, so I never, I never really pursued it, even though it, it was the thing that brought me the most joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started, I started writing first, I started writing a blog, um, when I really didn't have anything, uh, I started writing a blog mostly for myself as a way to, to just kind of figure out what was happening to me. And quickly it became a way to connect with other people who had had similar experiences, so many people reached out being like, I've never talked about this with anyone, but like, this has been going on with me or, you know, seeing those similarities. And once I got a sense of, oh, wait a minute, like maybe there's a lot more people dealing with this kind of thing than I realized. I started wanting to talk about it a bit more. Um, And I wrote some just parody songs and little like comedic things because that was how I was understanding things in my brain anyways. And I think those were the first little sparkles of comedy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a while for me to be uh, 
for my health and and my ability level to be kind of stable enough to pursue things. But that started that's that started the inkling of like maybe this is maybe this is a pathway yeah and and was there a moment that you felt like you found your people like I can imagine like somebody that is so driven like you that you get that um you get that goal of the opera singer extraordinaire Ophira the opera singer and you get that taken away and then you you sort of float for a while until you find Ophira the joker (laughs) <laughs> and do you remember that moment that you're like, oh, I got I got my new me here? You know, I think it was pretty gradual. I went through, I went through a phase of, oh, I kept trying to go back to school so many times. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so I can't do the singing, but maybe I'll be able to do like a general music degree and focus on history. Yeah. And I tried that and like I couldn't even sit up in class at that point. I didn't have a wheelchair because I didn't have a diagnosis and I just didn't have anything set up to support me um and then I was like okay okay maybe not music okay maybe I need a bit more support so I'll move back home but I'll do this course in like health policy because now I've realized that there's so much so many issues uh in healthcare, and this is how I can like impact it Mm -hmm. and play a part and then that didn't work out and then I was like oh there's this other degree program really close to my parents in public policy I'll try that I'll do that um, and I just, I really kept, yeah. kept trying and the whole time I was writing my blog, I was writing these songs, but I didn't, um, I didn't have much confidence in them at that point, especially because in opera, I didn't really view myself as a creator or an artist. Ooh. I viewed myself as a singer. Other people wrote the stuff. I just sang it. That was my role. And that was what I did. I brought other people's works to life. Um, So I didn't have much confidence in my own voice at that point, even though people were responding well to my blog. And, you know, it's it's not that I I didn't get positive feedback. I just didn't internalize it. Right. There was no no marking (laughs) system on a blog. You don't like nobody's going to send you gold star. Like you have to really start like, and I think this is such an important, like if we can learn this lesson early, is like getting, trusting your gut. Like you must've started writing and going, oh, I like this. I'm getting good response. I feel good when I create this. I'm going to keep, that's my gold star. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I think that uh, we make up a lot of excuses to, or we, at least I make up a lot of excuses (laughs) Um, to not pursue the thing that that brings you joy. Like I went through a phase of being like, oh yes, you know, I, uh, I really love, uh, writing, but it seems more responsible to pursue like music even. And I do music is a huge part of my practice, but in, in a slightly different way, those are on the same playing field in terms of responsibility. I just liked one more. And so I was scared to, scared to really pursue it because it felt a bit, a bit more vulnerable, I think, Mm. um, Mm -hmm. both more exciting and more vulnerable. Um, and I was like, ah, I can't do that's decadence. You know, Mm -hmm. I couldn't, can't do that. I get that though. I think it's also being brought up in a family of people that are like pursuing things that are so altruistic almost, you know, that you think I got like, I got to go save the the poor and heal, heal the unhealthy, as opposed to, I'm just going to make jokes and yeah. then doctors will come and watch my show and have enough energy to go and heal. Cause I can't, I'm not going to do that. I don't, I don't like too much blood. So 
right? Like, I mean, you're still doing your part, but in a different, um, on a different train. Yeah. I mean, that's something that, especially because through my experience, I realized just how, how deep some issues went that I I didn't really know before, Mm. um, how much work there is to do, uh, in the realm of disability and accessibility and healthcare. Is that what you mean by deep issues? Like, is that, yeah. Yeah. Can you speak more on that? So I kind of fell through gaps in the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, what I was eventually diagnosed with um, is I have a an overarching connective tissue disorder. It's genetic. I've had it my whole life. Um, and it's called it up. EDS, EDS yes. right? So it's yeah. Ehlers-Danios syndrome, which is something I've never, syndrome. ever heard of before. Yeah, neither had I yeah. um, at all. It's a, so it's a connective tissue disorder and it affects everyone very differently. Um, And it pops up in all different systems of the body. So there's not really one doctor who is Mm. the one that's in charge of people with that condition. For me, it popped up with my spine and my brain, but also my heart a bit and also my joints. And the way the healthcare system works is that we have specialists that are responsible for different areas and so I had really bad headaches. So I was sent to, to a neurologist, right. but my problem was actually more structural. So the neurologist was like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> like this doesn't really seem like a me thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, I had things going on with my heart. So I go see the cardiologist, but mm-hmm. the issues with my heart were connected to a broader system that's not really within that cardiologist's uh, sort of framework of what they typically deal with. And so they'd be like, you're not really like, I don't think your issues are in this realm. And so I got passed around a lot. Um, and through that process, meanwhile, I had no supports um, because there, there, there aren't really supports in place, even for young people with diagnoses, but especially for young people without a diagnosis. Um, I couldn't access any services. I couldn't Ooh. really, I couldn't move forward at all. And I eventually um, kind of diagnosed myself um, through research on the internet and fundraised to be able to go to the States and get that confirmed. There's certain tests that we just don't do in Canada yet. And so I had to do a GoFundMe and go to the States and uh, pay out of pocket for for procedures and surgeries and healthcare, um, which was so such a hard decision and and really infuriating especially to know that the only way that I was able to do that was because a my family had resources Mm -hmm. and then my family friends and connections and and people around me were able to contribute as well in order to make that happen Mm -hmm. I know so many people who are in similar situations to what I was um, who just don't have those resources, mm-hmm. who have had GoFundMes up for years, just waiting, you know, and hoping that they can reach high enough to be able to, to go and access this care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and meanwhile, within the system, uh, not only are there no, no supports, but there's also a lot of um, our doctor's appointments are kind of set up that when you go in, um, there's an expectation that you end with an answer or a plan. Right. And if you have someone come in and nothing shows up on their test, then what do you give them as an answer? 
Um, and often it results in the answer being like, more I think either more tests, but often uh, in our system, because doctors get flagged for how many tests they run, if you've already had a bunch of tests, they start saying like, oh, you know, are you stressed? Um, are you feeling like you're getting enough attention yeah. in your life? Wow. And I've, you know, I've had that kind of put on me. I've been told that I'm, I've been wasting doctor's time. I've been kicked out of ERs before when I could barely walk, like really, really difficult yeah. experiences that are not at all unique to me. Um, they're, they're quite common with, with folks with chronic conditions that just haven't, haven't been found yet haven't mm-hmm. been diagnosed so yeah. that's that's extraordinary and as you said I don't think it is something that you it's an isolated event with you but uh, what I'm curious about is like that you have the gumption uh, to to fight for yourself like in your gut like because some people would be like oh maybe I am looking for attention oh maybe I am it's just a headache and you're like no I'm going to trust my gut it's more than that and I'm going to fight for it to the extent that I'm going to do a GoFundMe, blah, blah, blah. Where, where did that gene come from? <laughs> you know, Bottle that. It's a good question. I do. I do have a, a fair streak of stubbornness. In you me. sure do. Um, so that's definitely, definitely part of it. Um, but I also, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't internalize a lot of it. Um, I, I fought because I had to fight because I, I wanted to have more from my life than mm-hmm. being asleep for 20 hours a day and in a haze the other four. Yeah. You know, like I I wasn't I wasn't okay just accepting that that is what my life would be or would mm-hmm. become. Mm-hmm. Uh it wasn't that I was dreaming of, you know, going back to to the way things used to be. I was at first, but as as time went on, I realized like okay, this is always going to be part of me, but it can't be this, you mm-hmm. know, like there's no way that my future can be living in my parents' basement while they bring me food a couple no. of times a day. And, and that's it. Like I, I refused to believe that. But was there a tipping point? Was there a moment? Cause I can imagine that it took you a while to catch your breath of this yes. new life that Afira was living. And was there a tipping point that you were like, Oh no, I got to make some changes. Do you remember that moment? <laughs> I'm about to I'm about to uh become a, a real nerd for a moment um, bring it on you don't scare me <laughs> I mean I'm a Scorpio uh, <laughs> oh there's a bunch of listeners that'll be all over this so yeah keep going <laughs> I'm glad of that because I used to be embarrassed of being a Scorpio everyone would be like oh <laughs> Okay. I, I don't know a lot about it, but I know we have uh, Emily Churchill, who's the head of our wellness department and is all over. She's always telling me what my moon is. We're both Pisces. So, uh, <laughs> so talk away. There's folks that are going to real resonate with this. <laughs> I don't know much, but I did get a co-star, this co-star app this year. So, you know, I'm learning. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> but like one of my things is I am very constantly trying to 
adapt to things like that's I would say the core of who I am is I'm like how can how can we do this better and when I was younger it's funny I just moved and stumbled across a bunch of old notebooks uh that I kept when when I was in high school and in university and it was very funny looking through them but they were filled with these lists because I was so busy I had so much going on and filled with these lists of like okay if I do like switch this to this day and this to that day and then make a commitment to do this instead of that and wake up an hour earlier and do this then I can make it work and like every 10 pages of my notebooks had these like okay we're gonna figure this out like if we just shift this a little bit here and shift that a little bit there then like we can you know and like prioritize okay so these are the priorities if those are the priorities then what does that mean for my schedule like that's that is has always been core to who I am Mm -hmm. I use that skill very differently these days mm-hmm. um, than in just trying to pack a schedule. Mm-hmm. But I think throughout the process, and maybe that's um, maybe that's kind of what kept me going, is that I constantly was trying to shift and rejig and be like, okay, what can we do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where mm-hmm. do we go from here? How do I shift things to move forward um, and find? I kept talking about like, I just need a leg up. Like, I just need a wedge. I don't need like, I don't need to all of a sudden be able to be a marathon runner. You know, I just need to be able to stay awake for a couple more hours and then I can figure it out. Or I just need a little, Mm -hmm. little bit of a a boost. Um, And so I spent a lot of time thinking through that and doing that and testing out new things and yeah, just trying, trying to find that handhold. And so then when, when did you realize, because since the diagnosis, or I guess before that too, I think uh, maybe it became more clear after your diagnosis in 2015, but when did you realize that you were like, um, you were a driver, not a passenger, because it feels like you are such an advocate for the uh, disabled community. And so all your projects are like curated by Ophira or produced by Ophira. Like you're really pushing it forward, which is so exciting to me because not only do you have the heart of a comedian, but you have the heart of an advocate. So it's a great, it's a great combo. When did you realize you were in that role of, uh, of driver? I'm still trying to figure yeah, right. that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, suddenly you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm a producer. It's wild. It's yeah. wild. I never... I never intended to produce. Really? Um, no, wait a second. I want to just challenge that. I just, have, I have to say, I have a hard time believing that because I bet as a kid, you were the one that was like, look, you're going to play this role. I'm going to play this role. Let's go. You wear this coat. I just have a feeling. You know, I definitely wanted to be that kid. I was, I was shy. So I would have it in my head, um, but I did. You know what? No, that's not true. I was, I was the president. Yeah, let's get real true here, Ophira. (laughs) President of my local Jewish youth group, uh, (laughs) if we're going to be honest. Yeah, so you were producing before you were a producer, quote unquote. It's true. I mean, actually, when I was in in high school, my mom was diagnosed with MS uh, and I created a huge fundraising show that was called like A Night for Music, capital M, capital S, very clever. Love it. Uh, (laughs) And like brought in all different genres of music and books of theater. And I think I was 15, 15 or 16. Um, So it's true. I think I'm someone that if I have an idea or I see 
like a spot or an issue or just a thing that that I think should happen for whatever reason mm-hmm. um I don't necessarily have the patience to wait for someone else to do it I get it um and I what think a con what a contrary frustration with a person that has to sleep 20 out of 24 days well this is the thing right and this has been one of my main my main challenges of shifting my mindset to, cause I do, I like to, I like to get things together. I like to make them happen. I like to, you know, pursue that. And I've also been trying to over, over the past several years sort of unravel and think through, okay, how do I do this in a way that that works for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and that isn't, you know, making me kind of crash every other week. Um, how do I structure this in a way that's sustainable? And mm-hmm. a lot of the producing also comes in. When I started comedy, I certainly didn't have like the explicit intention to produce, but there just wasn't really any space for me. Mm-hmm. There weren't really any venues. I guess I have to make my own shows if I'm going to perform. So I didn't necessarily have the intention of of producing at first. I just was, I wanted to find space to do reps uh, with my improv friends. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want to be part of this. I want to do it. I guess I'll produce it. Like, I guess I'll make it happen. Um, and that's very much been, been a driver for me. It's just that I'm like, I want to do this thing. No one else is making it happen. I don't have any particular blueprint existing Mm -hmm. like I can't sign up to be one of a slot in this theater that's not accessible so I guess I'll just make it all right doesn't make you angry (laughs) what where's your anger in all this well I do I mean I go through I go through phases um it is it's I get angry for you like (laughs) I honestly the amount of comedian or comic spaces or comedy theaters that aren't accessible that like like for instance, Los Angeles' second city is like a stair. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you there's just no way. Heard, yeah. Let alone people that are not able-bodied, but uh, like seniors. Like it's just very. Yeah. It's very. If restricted. you twist your ankle, you can't get up yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I. So where does anger go for you then? I mean, usually I like to channel anger into my work. Um, that's why I like satire. Uh, it's the but, smarter way to go for sure these <laughs> but there's also this element of sometimes a feeling of and that's why now I work really hard in um, consulting for spaces and and producing things the thing that drives me now is that it is people talk about representation and I've had conversations with spaces where they say like well you know where are the the disabled people like you know they're just we don't see them like okay so let's say you have someone who's in my position um who deals with chronic fatigue chronic pain all of these symptoms maybe only have like four workable hours a day to Mm -hmm. deal with Mm -hmm. um And then on top of that, this person doesn't necessarily have the supports within society to deal with like laundry and chopping food and, you know, like covering basic needs, Mm -hmm. thinking about rent, accessibility. I've had to live in inaccessible spaces because I couldn't afford fancier, more accessible ones. And the waiting lists in the city are like two plus years. So of those four workable hours usually all of them have to go into just basic survival. But let's say, let's say that there's like a little bit of time still there over the course of of the week. Mm -hmm. 
then there's no venues that they can necessarily get into. Um, classes are structured in a way that are not necessarily accessible to them. And so you're asking people with such limited resource to be able to somehow create not only the same as everyone else, but also build their own spaces on top of it, figure out how to do it without mm -hmm. a model or a blueprint, um, and then somehow still be able to get to the same level as someone else. Like, yeah. where? How? <laughs> how are you doing what, it? What can we do? Like, what are steps that we can do? Because, uh, like... If if they're if you're speaking to a theater that is open minded enough to adjust their systems, what can they do? I mean, I think a huge component is nurturing what's already there. Um, people, I mean, there's so there's like disabled TikTokers and really hilarious like folks on disabled Twitter, uh, which is just you know the world of Twitter where there are a lot yeah. of disabled people. Um, like it's not necessarily that this work and these ideas and these concepts aren't happening. It's mm -hmm. that they aren't happening in quote unquote conventional ways or conventional spaces. And so I think the first step is to really try to look for, for what is happening mm -hmm. and support those people and those spaces and really add resources to, to them um, in a perfect world, if a space just was able to completely like make itself super accessible, restructure all of its classes, um, have interpreters and personal support workers on site and all of these policies, like that's ultimately, uh, I think something that, that I really push for and really hope for. Um, but it's in order to learn how to do that, uh, spaces have to look to disabled folks and see kind of what they're doing and what they need and uh, going to community as opposed to trying to like bring people into a space that isn't necessarily built for them yet. It's not necessarily safe. It's, it's, it's such an important discussion. And, 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 you know, I remember reading something you said about, about the age of uh, body positivity. Like we're looking at body, body positivity. So where does chronic illness fit into that? Yeah. Cause it's such a, it's such, um, there's such a disconnect, right? So there's the folks that are like, be positive about your body. And then there's a disconnect between that and the disabled community. I, I feel, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? I mean, I think about body positivity a lot. Um, I have never felt like I could celebrate the idea that my body gets really tired mm -hmm. or the fact that my body doesn't move the same way that everyone else's does or that my body hurts sometimes it causes me pain like that's mm -hmm. not really a, a celebratory thing that's not really mm -hmm. a positive thing mm -hmm. um and so how do I move forward in my relationship with my body um how do I talk about it how do I feel about it mm -hmm. um I think I'm really into there's like this new new concept of body neutrality um, that I'm very intrigued by of just like our bodies are our bodies and they're not moral, you know, <laughs> like they're not right or wrong. They just, they just are. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're all kind of doing the best we can, uh, with yeah. that. I resonate with that. I also try really hard to not hold my body to the standard of like a quote unquote, like average or normal, mm -hmm. whatever those things yep. are. Um, but other people's bodies, 
I try to, and again, this has kind of taken years and it's, it's a, an evolving process. Um, but when my body hurts, it's usually telling me something, you know, it's usually a sign and maybe I can't understand what it's telling me. And, and that's too bad. Cause then I can't really do much about it, but maybe it's telling me that I'm, I'm tired, or maybe it's telling me that there's something going on in the space. That's, that's not working for me. Maybe it, maybe something happened internally that, that I don't know about. Um, and I'm trying to, I try really hard not to judge that and not to uh, like get super angry and be like, but I should be able to, because I mean, if I went by that, like, why shouldn't I be able to fly? Um, but I don't have that expectation. So why should I expect my body to be able to do anything other than what it can do? I mean, that's, isn't that a lifelong journey? Like, I mean, for some more than like, that's something that you're on. And that's something that I think everybody is. And as you age too, that like the disappointment of your body letting you down as you get older, I think that'll happen. Um, But I read your blog about your, was a love letter to your neck brace? Yes. And, And I was like, that's, I mean, what an interesting place to be where you say, I love you. I love you, my neck race, because you let me do these things. Is there a way of like finding your way into loving your body, even though it isn't letting you do certain things? I think so. I mean, I think it's sort of that shift of, because for example, my neck brace restricts my movement. So I could just be really annoyed by that. Also, yeah. it makes me sweaty in the summer because, you know, it's like yeah. a bunch of pads. Right. So like yeah. there are, there are irritating things about it, but it, it gives me so much more than that. Like when I first put it on, I was able to sing again. I hadn't been able to properly sing oh for God. years. Um, and so, so exciting. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. magical. And do you remember the song? Sorry, I'm off. But do you remember the song you sang when the, when you put <laughs> it on? Remember. But knowing me, it was, well, I think I was singing pretty gentle things at the time. Yeah. I was going to say it, knowing me, it was something like Defying Gravity, but <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Anyway, go on though. So you, yeah. So there's certain things about it that you don't like, but then in but overall it, it has improved my life so drastically. Mm. And the same thing with my wheelchair, um, being on stage. So I tried for a while to be on stage and I could barely stand and I couldn't focus. And it was, I was like, my heart mm. was pounding so fast. Like it was really hard for me. And then I go on stage in my wheelchair and I can like glide everywhere. I can be present in the moment. I can do cool dance moves. Like it just, okay. it fully opens up uh, possibilities for me. And so for sure, yeah. Like, is it frustrating when I show up at a building and there's no elevator, or I can't get in or my chair is just too bulky to fit through a doorway? Like 1000%, like those, those barriers exist, but they're not my wheelchair's fault fault you know (laughs) and they're not my fault either um they're they're the fault of you know our buildings were were built without that consideration in mind and and that's that's the problem as Mm -hmm. opposed to being like oh this wheelchair or like oh this neck brace um and I think it's the same thing with my body um just because I can't necessarily physically I don't have the same physical capacity as what our world was built for. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that the capacity I have isn't like awesome and great and valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just a bit different. So it's not a, it's not a detraction 
and kind of adjusting from a framework of loss of like, oh, I'm losing things or, you know, I'm less than I should be Mm -hmm. more focusing on like, okay, but also, I don't know, my body's pretty great. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I got into perform, I I get to do things. I can eat cheese. A lot of people can't eat cheese, but I can. That's Uh, great. Gosh, yeah. Everybody should be able to eat cheese. That's a a trauma. Um, Yeah, I get it. Yeah, there's a real, it's a really interesting, I I have to say, you're such a uh, hopeful person. Like even in the interviews I read and like you you just approach things with such hope. Uh, Do you have uh, like days off when you're like, I'm going to take a day (laughs) off hoping? Oh yeah. Um, I like to say that I'm a very optimistic pessimist. Um, <laughs> in that, like, I I think that things are quite bad. Um, but it, you know, I uh, I choose to kind of see the best in the bad, mm-hmm. as opposed to like I think everything will turn out well. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like I've had enough experience to be like I usually expect the worst, and then I'm just so pleasantly surprised when things go well. <laughs> Uh, I'm like, like oh correct me if I'm wrong because that's um my husband's mother used to say that don't let the highs get too high and the lows get too low and <laughs> I was like oh yeah but you're missing out on those like victories and just <laughs> but I get it I get it it's uh it's it's challenging yourself to find the way through but uh it's also realistic right yeah yeah I mean it's, it's a bumpy road right? yeah. so it's hard to like if I if I'm constantly I do I do like I I believe in people I more or less you know sometimes depends on the person sure uh, yeah you're realistic yeah yeah what's what, who who gave you that um that superpower of hope who in your life I mean I don't know my family in general is very much a like pick up the shovel kind of family. So when things go wrong, um, which they they for sure have quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Like pick up the much... shovel, let's bury that body. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking more along the lines of like, oh, we got to dig a pathway. Like here got we it. go. Yep. Yep. Or like different pages. We're on the same page now. Okay. <laughs> or, you know, like a pile of, you know, like horse shit. We'll like pick up the shovel and deal with it. What's, what's your um, community like? Like, because you were sort of undiagnosed for a while, was there a community of like, well, wait till you're diagnosed before you're part of our community? What's it like, here, the, the world that you're in? I mean, at that point, I didn't even know where to look for community um, yeah. because I hadn't, the word disabled didn't even really come into my brain because um, there's a lot of there's a lot of stigma with the word disabled. Um, I had a lot of internalized ableism, like, oh, I'm not disabled. I'm just different or, you know, it's it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, This is temporary. This isn't, this isn't me. You know, I'm still just as valuable as everyone else, which of course, disabled people are just as valuable as everyone else. Um, But it took me a while to get there. Yeah. Um, but the internet, I started finding, really? um, once I, the word chronic illness, uh, and when I was searching for a diagnosis, I started scrolling through just like conferences and online and research papers and started to see links to Facebook groups, patient advocacy groups, and just sort of sleuthing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I saw this Tumblr page called chronic illness humor, 
I lost it. Like okay. that was the moment of like this. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> like there is a person who is somewhere vaguely American. I don't know um, who is experiencing the same things I am and seems to think about them similarly to me. Like she's funny, right. you know. And like, yeah, why can't we be funny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when it becomes your life, your day to day life, it becomes funny. Um, and seeing that reflected. And then of course, once I got a diagnosis, I went more into like those specific patient groups. Mm-hmm. But these days, um, I really have sort of found a bit more of a disability community, a bit more of a disability arts community. Um, and all of those connections have mostly happened online. Uh, people will, will connect or reach out or I've seen articles someone else has posted and I'm like, oh my goodness, you're a theater person who's disabled. Uh, please let's talk. (laughs) Like, let's be friends. Do you want to be friends? I think I want to be friends. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. Um, so, and then like conferences and things, you start to, Mm -hmm. to see the same people. And there's so, there's just such a huge value in that. Yeah. Have you seen like a big shift? I mean, with, with the pandemic that since we're all online, have you seen like your whole community kind of open up because of that? It's super interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, This is one of my things that I try not to get too shady about, but um, (laughs) I, I was pushing for sort of online spaces uh, for a very long time. Uh, and had a lot of meetings with a lot of different places about pushing for shows being moved online, classes being moved online. I was always told that it was uh, too difficult. So I tried really hard not to be bitter um, and just mm-hmm. be happy that it was happening uh, at the start of COVID. But the online world for me is way more accessible. I've personally been able to do so much more. I don't think I realized just how hard it really was oh for me God, to get yeah. places because it was, you know, I knew it was, I knew it took me more time, but I didn't just realize how draining it was, yeah. um, how much, how much it took for me. Whereas now that I don't have to do that, I'm like, oh, I can have a back-to-back meeting. Yeah. No problem. Like, that's fine. I can do two shows in one night if I want to, when I'm just seated comfortably and just have to click a button. Um, and that's been the case for quite a few disabled folks. Um, the flip side is that the online world isn't accessible for everyone. So for some people, for example, um, people from the uh, blind and low vision community, the online world is extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, figuring out interpretation online, um, the deaf community really, like I've seen some just absolutely extraordinary work from them of adapting to to an online world but uh it's certainly and like specifically the arts community some of the shows that have been happening are very exciting but challenging very Mm -hmm. for sure challenging like I saw you're on tall boys can you tell me about that experience you know I so I was on season one and then season two um season one I was quite quite shocked um I didn't have an agent I had kind of assumed that film and tv was not an option for me um I had never well, seen anyone like go, me Sarah. we taught you <laughs> it's true <laughs> it's true like I really I kind of so I went through in terms of comedy I went through the second city programs um they were the only ones that were physically accessible 
Um, and so I did all the programs there and then I graduated and was like, okay, well, none of now the places what? that I, yeah, like now what do I do? I can't take any of those intermediate programs in yeah. other spaces because they and weren't And you can't accessible. start your troops because the spaces aren't accessible. So what do you exactly. do? I was like, what, where do I go from here? I, it was kind of like either I something just falls in my lap and I started thinking and doing a bit more work in, in the theater world and, and songwriting. Cause I just, I couldn't see a pathway for comedy, mm-hmm. at least not immediately. And I was told that too, by, by a number of, of folks there that, you know, they didn't really see it either. So tall boys was such an unexpected, uh, I got like a message in my like Facebook, um, <laughs> you know, uh, inbox of, some, of someone just being like, Hey, your name was put forward. Like, do you have an agent? I was like, Nope. Yes, let me put her on. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so. So that, it was very exciting. I sent yeah. in a, a tape and and got sort of that first role. And then they brought me back for, for season two, which was really, really lovely. Both roles were roles that weren't explicitly written for a disabled performer. Yes. Yes. And I got actually a number of messages from some people. And it's funny because their roles were so small. Like they're just little sort of no the first roles. one. Yeah. You, you know, know like, like you can change the world in a, in a line. I think that's really exciting. It's very cool. If I got these messages from people being like, I never thought that I'd see someone in a wheelchair, just be a character on TV. I know. And just like exist in the world. Well, that kind of goes which... back to the beginning of our discussion where I'm like, I want to talk about you as, as an artist. Cause I do think that we have to, uh, you know, it's, it's tricky though. I, I also want to recognize that I know that it's part of who you are and celebrate that too. I celebrate your neck brace. Love my neck brace. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm also a... You know, I just, I sing, I make jokes, I, and for sure it's, it's connected to my disability, but I, I love acting. I love performing. I write at 2am in verse, just like everyone else. (laughs) Um, Maybe not everyone. Uh, Hopefully other people have better writing habits than I do. (laughs) No, (laughs) everybody does it, but not everybody does it willingly. And so (laughs) now, cause I read um, for your show that you did at factory, you, you structured in your the play um, uh, that you had a nap because yeah. you needed to break because it's exhausting. So with this, we've been talking for like an hour. Is this like, are you tapped out right now? Are you like, <laughs> I just want to know, because I think this is part of it too. Like, you know, we take it for granted. Then someone goes, oh, I'm a bit tired. And you're like, oh, we're all tired. But like, no, you have to actually listen to your body because if you don't keep your body strong, everything else falls apart. Yeah, it can be, uh, it can become a domino effect. For me, um, I really structure my day. So right now, uh, for everyone listening, <laughs> I'm, so I'm sitting in my wheelchair, um, but the legs of my wheelchair are elevated because it's a power chair. So right now I have my legs fully up. It's not visible uh, to, to sort of a, a computer camera, mm-hmm. but I'm seated here in the most comfortable structured position. My wheelchair is built to support me. So my spine, I don't have to use muscles to do that work. My legs are up. I have my water beside me. You know, I'm like in a position that I can stay in. Um, But 
I just actually moved and that's why this position is possible. At my place a week ago, an hour into this conversation, you'd see me kind of like fidgeting and shifting and feeling really sore. I mean, that goes back to why I love my wheelchair so much. Yeah. Well, um, and you move too, my God. (laughs) In the pandemic, uh, don't recommend. No, I mean, I don't recommend moving anywhere, anytime. If you can avoid it, just stay in one place. But yeah. Um, I just think, I think the world of you, I, I'm, I'm like in my brain, I'm like, how do I get you more involved at the comedy community? So I'm really excited <laughs> that our paths have crossed. Cause, um, yes. I think you're a light. Likewise. And you do well, such cool work. It's really, well, I certainly don't do it by myself, but, uh, it makes, I just love, we, you know, we love our job, right? We love what yeah. we get to do. We just want to do it more and more often. Very much yeah. so, which so lucky. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. It's such a lucky thing, you know. Oh my I, God. Yeah. So fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is. I was going to say strong. I don't know if I live with it, but strong. strong. <laughs> I also love what your body just did, trying to find, like you sort of summoned the word. I love it so much. Uh, what do you want to be best known for? Um, kindness, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I mean, not niceness. I don't really like niceness that much, but like kindness. Yeah, I hear you. Two words to describe your present state of mind. Tired and uh, I'm happy right now. I mean, I just move. My place is so nice. Yeah, tired and happy. That's good. Um, Okay, if this was a movie, if your life was a movie and we're just about to wrap up this movie with some credits, what has been like the, the turning point of your life that changed things? I think for me, uh, the turning point has been switching from being strictly a performer to being a creator and performer. Um, It kind of felt like moving into the driver's seat a little bit. Um, And that applies to like my art, but also my life as a whole. Love it. What's something that people don't know about you? Oh, I'm super saucy. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, I don't think that's a secret, Ophira. I'm sorry. I think you might want to rethink that question. <laughs> I'm relieved to hear it because I get told that I'm like sweet quite a lot um, and bubbly, which maybe those are true. I don't know. I won't make a, an official statement on that. But um, sometimes I'm uh, not. <laughs> so I find it quite funny when Fun. uh, people really see me in that realm what's your what's been your favorite mistake and what did you learn from it oh that is such a good question I mean most of the things I'm thinking of are you know a little bit I've made a lot of mistakes in um (laughs) so for example I performed in a show that I was too tired to perform in and I tipped off the side of the stage in my wheelchair um so it's dark Uh, I landed in the hospital for two weeks um but I think in that moment when I tipped off the stage like that was one of it's one of my funniest memories, uh, as much as it was awful, just everyone standing around being like, what do we do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, where are the adults? Oh no, we're the adults. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what do we do next? Yeah. Um, and I think I learned from that. Oh, you know what? And I'm going to follow this up with a better one, but I'm going to say, I learned from that. Um, felt like I can figure shit out. Um, mm-hmm. I think so. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a second answer because you might want to use this one more. I'll take them both. We all have <laughs> lot, I have tons of mistakes. If you have only two, you're doing really well. What's your I mean, in the same realm, I went to Barcelona uh, in my wheelchair. 
uh, two years ago. It was amazing. It was incredible. Shockingly, Barcelona is really accessible. Who knew? Um, but anyways, I went up to go to Park, uh, Park Gel, which is up like a huge mountain. And everyone told me, uh, they were like, you need to take a car up there. It's too steep. People can't walk up there. Like it's that steep. And I was like, oh, but I'm in a wheelchair. My wheelchair came in like, I'm not walking. So whatever. Um, I have these wheels. And as I go up and up, all of a sudden my wheelchair and it's this big power motorized wheelchair, it starts like <laughs> kind of trying to slide back oh down. Like God. it's practically vertical. And then at one point I had to turn and I had the moment of being like, oh my God, this is, I mean, this is where I die. You know, like this is it. The story is going to read like, you know, wheelchair user, too stubborn to listen to locals, <laughs> like <laughs> determined to ride up mountain falls down the side of mountain. Um, and I was like, you know what? Like, I don't think anyone will be shocked by that headline. Like, I think- It'll be I like, is it Ophira? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They'll be like, eh, you know what? That tracks. Um, but it's not necessarily the way I wanted to go out, sure. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I start churning and my chair starts tipping and I have to like plant my foot on the ground and like try to use my body weight to, and at one point I had to get out of my chair and try to push my chair, which- Again, I mean, it was a sight to be seen, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> wow. Long story short, my chair ultimately didn't tip. It went, it almost did, um, but I made it. I made it up the mountain and then was very ready to head back home immediately. So what's your lesson from that? I mean, challenge. I think in that moment, I mean, obviously the number one lesson is like, listen, uh, listen to people who know better. <laughs> but to me, for me, it was the same kind of thing of, yeah, you can figure it out. Um, on that same trip, I forgot to charge my wheelchair and ended up with like barely any battery outside trying to figure out how I'd get back in a place where like everyone around me didn't speak English. I'm using like Google translate on my phone to the best of my ability. Um, and I was fine. Yeah. You know, I made it. I think there's a lot of, there's an assumption that people with disabilities kind of have to be wrapped in, in bubble wrap and cotton and, uh, really protected, um, especially if you're in a place that that you're not familiar and sure, don't have yeah, your support yeah. set up. Um, and I think as much as I was like bucking against that and that's why I went traveling by myself, um, I still had that, that idea at the back of my head of like, better be careful. Yeah. Um, but I can figure it out. You know, there's always a way. You got to put that in a, in a show sometime of this person in a wheelchair going up a hill and then just being like, oh no, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And then everybody going, she wants to do it by herself. <laughs> everybody step away. Back away. Yeah. Um, okay, what's something that you haven't done yet? I mean, God, you've been to Barcelona. What, what's something you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do in your lifetime? Oh, I really want to see the Northern Lights oh, so yeah. badly. I haven't seen those either. They just, I don't know. I hate the winter, so I don't know why I'm so attracted to them because you kind of have to deal with winter in order to see them. Yeah. But I really want to see them. Yeah. I just want yeah. to. I get it. Um, what's another firecracker? We, I just love passing the firecracker love on to somebody. Is there somebody in your life that you can give a shout out to? Oh my goodness. So many people, but I want to give a shout out to Alia Rasool, um, who is one of my like greatest friends. Uh, of time but also 
just such a cool comedian, writer, performer, also producer. Like she does all of the things. Um, and now published author. She's releasing um, a poetry book uh, very shortly called Super Important Filipina Thoughts, which it's just so cool. She does everything. Um, and she's also does memes and has a great Instagram. Like she's great. We'll I will like find to her. Say her name again. The lab. Alia Rasul. Okay. We're going to go find her and give her some firecracker love. My final <laughs> question to you is what's advice, advice that you would have given to your younger self? Well, to my younger self, I would just say breathe. I don't think I did that very much. <laughs> <You're> um, an <laughs> opera singer. <laughs> It's true. It's yeah. true. I trained to breathe uh, professionally, but, uh, or I was going through my old emails. I've really had a nostalgic moment as of late yeah. through moving, packing up. Sure. And I saw one from my mom. Uh, I had sent her when I was in high school, I think I was like, okay, am I forgetting anything? Like, this is what I think I have to do, but like, am I missing anything, anything to do with the house? And she just wrote me back a one word email that said, chill, period. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love so <laughs> Your mom and my father sound similar. My father would write in memos. Like he would be like, Naomi, dinner, I invite you. <laughs> and then he passed away in December and I was going through a bunch of his letters and I found this, it said to Naomi from pop, re weirdness. And then a body of the memo said, you are very weird. <laughs> love pop. <laughs> the perfect email it is kind of the no this is paper this is old school paper yeah, i know Ooh, so you could frame it right <laughs> i think that's it so beautiful oh uh, well ophira i'm just such a fan of yours and i hope that uh i don't know let's just figure a way of having our paths cross again and again yes, and please. if there's ever anything that you're doing that we can like jump on the ophira bandwagon for please please nudge us i appreciate that so much also, it goes both ways. Your your work is so great. It's Thanks. so wonderful. Thanks. We're going to just keep going, right? Because we love what we do. Yeah. 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 I mean, otherwise, why would why would we do it? Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I honestly, I've just so enjoyed speaking with you. And um, I'm just, I'm going to keep in touch. That's all there is to it. Now you can follow Ophira on Twitter at Ophira underscore C on Instagram at ophira.c and learn more about what they're up to because they always are up to something and more on her website ophira.ca and that includes upcoming Real Abilities Film Festival of Toronto Comedy Night at the end of May so stay tuned for updates on that. One of her most recent live events was through Myzeum Toronto like museum but Myzeum Toronto which you can follow at M-Y-S-E-U-M M-Y-S-E-U-M. If you don't know about MyZM Toronto, they present engaging programs and experiences and showcases the history, spaces, cultures, and people that represent Toronto's unique place in the world. Ophira was part of the Making Space Stories of Disabled Youth in the GTA live event, and the recordings will be published online soon, so everybody can have a look at them. I'm so excited about sharing all these stories with you every week, and this has been such an absolute pleasure. Now stay tuned for some announcements on some upcoming bonus episodes, just like I told you before, and we're going to be back next week. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker Head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. Sydney Nielsen is our co-producer and head editor. You can follow them at Sydney underscore Nielsen, C 
Sydney, like Australia. Nielsen, like milk. You can follow me on social media at my last name, at Sneekus, S-N-I-E-C-K-U-S. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. And we are so excited and feel so lucky to have two amazing, incredible firecracker interns for the winter of 2021. Fran Caviello and Saba Dolati. And I have to say, these are firecracker humans to their core and we're so lucky to have them with us. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com slash about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Don't forget, we also have a weekly brunch on Zoom every Sunday, and our live Firecracker follow-ups return this month, so stay tuned to our socials for who and when. Now, whether you're a first-time or a long-time listener to the Firecracker Department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you from each of the episodes. We mean it. We really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our Firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know that when they put something out into the world, that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Let us know. Share it because it just reverberates, you know? If you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity. So pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you. Yeah, you. Sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at the Firecracker online community, maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. Come on and share some time with us. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.